Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are talking about Knock at the Cabin. The new M. Night Shyamalan thriller is out. It may or may not have an M. Night Shyamalan twist. We're not going to spoil it, but we will talk about it. We're also going to talk about DC's new slate of films. James Gunn finally has an announcement about what's happening with Superman and Batman and everything else. And we have our uh, resident comic fan, Dr. Draper, here to fill us in on the goods. We're going to talk about Infinity Pool. New Brandon Cronenberg body horror feature is out. We have seen it. We're doing it at the end for anybody who's squeamish. Stick around. It's going to be good stuff. And before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Before we get to all that, we got some personal uh, podcast <laughs> news. Uh, right. Andy, do you want to explain what has happened on our YouTube page over the past two weeks while we've been away? My God. So we had a huge explosion in viewership after our our the release of our last show, but also our specifically our review of RRR or Triple R, the uh, the Indian epic that, that we watched last uh, week. We had, what are we up to now? The last I saw it was eight, about 8,000 views. It's at like 13K, which is not, you know, <laughs> I think for larger Considering the rest channels, of our, our videos get like five to 10 dude, views. We, look, Andy and I focus on the content here on the show first and we do the marketing second. So we don't put in a lot of effort. So when one comes out and like is far and away the most successful video we've had in a minute, it's a big deal. That video has nearly doubled our YouTube subscriber rate. RRR of all the movies, right? Like it's not going to be Avatar 2. It's not going to be Avengers. Like RRR is the thing that does it. I don't believe it. Like I, if I could do, I'm a believer now. I, I can't, <laughs> how, how could I not be? Indian cinema is here to stay. It's amazing. Also that movie came out in theaters like six months ago. It's, it's streaming now on Netflix. So it's, it's not even like a big new release or anything. It's been out for a while, uh, but we had a lot of interest in our opinions. A lot of, Things correcting are not super accurate in information, which uh, we're we're happy to learn from. We we are we are not Indian. We we are unfamiliar. It's a culture we are unfamiliar with, and so yeah. uh, we learned a lot along along the way. Like the term Bollywood isn't something we should be using anymore. Yes, uh, for instance, um, and along with a lot of other details. I have had so many people tell us in the comments that we fundamentally misunderstood like important plot points in RRR. There there were things that I misconstrued as incorrect. We're always learning. We're always growing. Thanks for being kind. And hey, we'll, we'll get better. Shoot. Who knows? Maybe we're watching something next week that's RR adjacent. Maybe that might be worth talking about. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But we're doing, for what it's worth, we're doing a lot of cool things over on YouTube. Like this, this, this got me all kinds of inspired. We're cutting shorts, shorts over there. Yeah, shorts. Hey, shorts. Uh, we got individual one-off reviews. We got some new thumbnails. Go check it out. Offscript film review on YouTube. That's us. We'll plug it again at the end of the show. Anyway, with that, we need to jump into the news. Our first story this week, uh, New Line wins an intense, intense auction for Weapons, the new movie from Barbarian filmmaker Zach Kreger. Uh, if you weren't listening to the show when we talked about Barbarian uh, a few, eh, probably a couple months ago now, back uh barbarian was a first horror picture from director zach kreger uh and it has taken off and a lot of people got really excited about it uh people got hot takes on what they actually think of the movie before it's worth it sold a bunch of tickets and a lot of studios really want a piece of this man right here if you watch on facebook live you can see him uh what is this about andy so zach kreger writer and director of Indie horror hit Barbarian, which we reviewed last year, which I thought was just kind of okay. I wasn't blown away by it, but a lot of people were. It was on some people's top 10 lists, definitely some of the best horror of, of the year. But there's been this massive bidding war for his new film called Weapons. Um, 
He allegedly got is getting an eight-figure deal to write and direct. Uh, he's also going to have a final cut. It's going to get theatrical. He's basically in total control. And he has one film. He's only done one, one movie. Film. <laughs> and uh, not only that, uh, Jordan Peele's company, Monkey Paw, really wanted this. And apparently they lost out to New Line. Jordan Peele's furious in shambles, firing people for not getting uh, this film. But Zach Krager is apparently the big new, th- new thing in horror. That's right. Jordan Peele stunlocked, confirmed, like just that my man cannot recover. He's so angry. No, reportedly, from what I remember hearing about Barbarian, uh, Krager actually reached out to Peele before he started shooting the, the, the film. He wanted to kind of get an idea from somebody who had come from sketch comedy and was working in the horror space now as a director. And apparently, like, he and Peele got along super well. He said Peele actually helped shape some of the ideas behind the movie. So, like, I, I think him and Peele are at probably on really good terms personally and i'll bet it's really a bummer for peel that monkey paw monkey paw studios who is his production company is not going to be producing craiger's next feature of course doesn't mean they won't work together in the future but it's a little bit of a bummer right like i think the two of them at least have a little bit of kinship uh at least from where they come from and where they're going i think it's kind of cool i was a bit more warm on barbarian than andy was uh but for what it's worth i'll be interested to see what's coming next from this guy i barbarian's got it's got to have one of the biggest like bits of tonal whiplash like in a movie I've seen in years. <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting how much, how popular that movie was. Uh, I thought, I thought there were things that, that worked and things that didn't. And I thought there was more that didn't work than, than did. Uh, you know, it, it did have some good moments, uh, but it had some strange choices. It feels like three movies in ones, like three short, short stories. It feels like it starts over a few times. Um, but it but it was a hit and and he's he's a hot property now. Yeah. And like, you know, good, good for him, I suppose. We'll have to see what comes out from Zach Kreger next. Uh, and next story, Westworld gets a new home. As Warner Brothers Discovery strikes a deal with Roku, Tubi, and Fast Channels. Uh keen listeners of the show may remember when we talked about HBO pulling Westworld from its library so they could put it on other services. Uh, Their new CEO, David Zaslav, has very radical ideas about how the HBO library should be leveraged. And he thinks, you know what? Not a lot of people are watching Westworld over here now that they've already seen it. It's already premiered. They did four seasons. Uh, We should put it in other places so other audiences can see it. Uh, Where's Westworld going, Andy? It is going to Roku and Tubi, which are known as Fast Channels. And I just learned this. Fast is not an anagram. Uh... It stands for for free ad supported streaming TV yes. fast uh, acronym. So r- acronym, thank you. Got it. Took me a minute. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, these free channels like Roku and Tubi, which you can download the apps for free, watch for free, and the only catch is that, like traditional cable, there are commercials. There usually be about a minute uh, of commercials, uh, about every twenty minutes or so just like kind of standard TV, but it is free. And usually the content on these channels has not been very good. It's been pretty low tier, uh, but they're going to be getting these really, I mean, HBO level content, Westworld, a, a great show. And they're also going to be getting things like uh, the bachelor cake boss, say yes to the dress raised by wolves. Uh, so some really hot, hot properties, but it's sad to see such prestige content go to the, the free channels. I mean, it's Okay. Little column A, little column B. I agree on the one hand. I don't like seeing quality HBO content just being like, you know, pushed around like Frankenstein's monster. Like here, take take this, you know, like here's some here's some stuff that we used to make that we don't want anymore. 
Uh, but on the other hand, I do think it's good, right, when prestige content is being shown to audiences all over. Like, it does make it more accessible. And for what it's worth, like, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that may not have seen Westworld that will be able to watch it now. And Westworld's great stuff. And if it makes people think and maybe raises that expectation for quality a little bit, I think that's a good thing. Um, what is weird to me is just how separated I feel like I am personally from these audiences. I am pretty much completely out on any kind of free ad-supported television like i just pay subscription prices and i try to pay for the ones without ads whenever possible not everybody does that in fact i don't even use a roku the roku install base is bananas i don't even remember the actual number but it is insane how many of those little sticks are out there that are plugged into televisions not only in america but all over the country all over the world so i think being able to get hbo content like on those in one way or another is a good thing it does kind of feel like a bit of a, a dressing down, though, for our wonderful Westworld. That 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 is true. Well, and the Roku app is available on pretty much any any device that has app capabilities. <laughs> capabilities. Uh, so that that's pretty huge. And they have had some good stuff. I watched the the John Wick uh, trilogy, the first three movies, um, on I believe it was on Tubi. They had so they occasionally get. Uh, some really good programming, but it, it's been kind of far and few and far between. But now uh, it's going to be huge. And the reason HBO is doing this is to just offload expenses. If if they they a are licensing it to someone else, and then they're probably getting a cut of the ad revenue as well, so that covers. And also HBO doesn't have to cover the licensing fees or the residuals that go to the actors, directors, um, the royalties. Yeah, it's a shrewd financial move, but it's no real surprise coming from Warner Brothers, a studio that, uh, you know, pushed Christopher Nolan out because they said, you're going to your movies go into theaters day and date. And he was like, I swear you do that to me once I'm leaving. And they tried and he bailed. Um, I think they're, you know, they're, look, they're willing to they're willing to cut a deal to make some money. That's they'll, they'll bail Ezra Miller out. They'll put out the new Harry Potter game. <laughs> Warner Brothers does not care. <laughs> Warner Brothers doesn't care at all as long as they're making a dollar. And speaking of companies that don't care, what better what better segue? What what better opportunity for us to talk about I think probably the most exciting story this week. AMC is raising ticket prices based on seat location in all of their theaters coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> it's got announced what this morning? May I guess yesterday, right? That's when this happened. I've been seeing red ever since. I forgot. I forgot who I am. No work has gotten done. Andy, what is this about? So AMC announced that, like you said, they're going to, going to be offering different prices based on where the th seat is in the theater. You know, citing things like sports arenas or concerts where you you'll pay more for better seats. That's what they're they're doing, and so. Uh, there's going to be three tiers. There's going to be kind of the discounted tier, which is the like the very front row, like the worst seat in the house. Can't see anything. Break your neck watching the, the screen. Uh, and then a couple of, of accessibility seats as well. Those will be discounted. And then the next tier is going to be your standard seat. So decent seats, but not the very middle center uh, seats. And those will just be kind of in regular plot price. And then the real good seats, what they're calling, I guess, sightline uh, is going to be an ex sight line, right? preferred sight line is preferred an extra two dollars, extra two dollars, um, and those will be so the the best seats in the house, those ones that are you know five five to seven rows up, ten ten or so seats in, right there in the middle. There, those are going to be the most expensive. 
this will apply, I guess, mostly to primetime shows, not not matinees. Um, and we'll also it'll be affected by whether or not you have an AMC Stubbs program as well. So there's a lot going on, but they're, the basics are they're going to be three tiers of seat now. Elliot Hamlish, executive VP and CMO at AMC Theaters, had this to say. A sightline at AMC more closely aligns with AMC's seat pricing approach to that of many other entertainment venues. Uh, who offer experience-based pricing and another way for moviegoers to find value at the movies. Uh, while every seat at AMC delivers an amazing moviegoing experience, we know there are some moviegoers who prioritize their specific seat and others who prioritize value moviegoing. Sightline and AMC accommodates both sentiments to help ensure that our guests have more control over their experience, that every trip to AMC is a great one. What a load of crap. I hate this. <laughs> I think this is like the worst theater policy uh, maybe I've ever heard. There was a time when the only way to get a good seat was to literally show up to the theater before everybody else and be the first in line at the box office. But then online ticketing happened, right? And everybody got into the idea that you buy your stuff a week early and then you get that prime seat in the middle. Or or for like a premiere show, something exciting coming out, you got to buy weeks in advance. Like Andy usually is the guy buying tickets for, for our group for anything exciting. And he'll buy, like you bought Spider-Man tickets like a month and a half out. Like it's crazy. How early you have to get on and give these companies your ticket price before you even get to the theater. But now AMC has figured out a way to squeeze another dollar out of you. They're just going to charge you based on where you sit. And they're going to claim that it's for like everybody who wants to go to the movies. But that is like the biggest load of crap I've ever seen. They're just going to charge more. And I think it's terrible. Yeah, this is a really bad idea. I mean, coming up with ways for people to stay home or giving people excuses not to go to the theater is the last thing you need to do. It is so hard to get people into the theaters and theaters are effectively kind of dying the slow death at the moment. And then you come up with a real big reason for people not, not to want uh, to go. Cause like I said, most people would just work around this or just simply not go. I wouldn't go during a, a prime time seat. I, I would wait for, for a weekend matinee showing, of of something or, or discount Tuesday that 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 kind of thing yeah well I, I know they've got that clause in there right yeah this, this only applies before four and it only applies on certain days and it doesn't apply to discount Tuesdays and like that's all like cute for now but like that's not really how corporate policy works it's a slow rollout of something larger like I don't see this being a limited time experience unless of course it's met with a lot of public rebuttal people get on twitter and they're like hey this sucks or they genuinely see a decline in ticket sales that would probably make the biggest difference but it's frustrating because it just feels so out of touch with what the movies are supposed to be there's this great scene in babylon right a lot of movies a movie a lot of people didn't like but Andy and i did uh when Brad Pitt is explaining to Gene Smart's critic character that like, you know, theaters are meant to be kind of the cheap seats. They're for people who can't afford live experiences. They're meant for people to have some kind of escape. They're meant for people to get away. And yeah, that was the 1920s. That was the 1930s. And that's a fictional script written by Damien Chazelle. But the spirit of that, I think, is really valid. Like we should not be charging for movies like it's a concert venue because it isn't. It's a crappy screen in a moldy multiplex. It was built 30 years ago. Like it doesn't have to be some big sporting event. And it's frustrating that this seems to be the way they want to go, mostly on the back of CEO Adam Aaron, who Variety pointed out formerly worked for Norwegian Cruise Lines and ran the Philadelphia 76ers. Cruise lines and sports. My man is heartily of the belief that you should be paying more based on where you sit. And I think it's a terrible policy. Yeah, it, it's this is going to be is going to blow back just like Netflix recently released stuff about anti-password sharing 
and huge blowback and and backpedal. I think the same thing's going to happen here. People are not going to do this. They're going to avoid those show times, or they're just gonna, they're all going to file into that front row, the discount seats, or buy every seat except the more expensive one. And just again, people will be like, "I'll just wait. I'll just watch streaming at home." Thanks for giving me another excuse. Yeah, if you're watching the video version of the show, I've got it up here. You can see a sample of what this looks like. Uh, this is currently going live in Kansas City, New York, and Chicago, and we'll be rolling out nationally at a later date. This is a showing for Saturday uh, after it launches this Friday. Uh, and I don't know everything's exactly, but AMC 19th Street E6. Uh, this is what it looks like. The, the the our blue seats are front row, and like two seats off to the side for handicap seats. Those are the cheap seats. Uh, there's a cluster of, of what five rows in the middle <laughs> that are like highlighted gold. Those are your preferred sightline, and then your standards are just this big circle around the outside of the, of of that cluster of good seats. And those are your normal pricing. Like I just I I don't like it. It just feels so scummy, and it feels like such a lame way to like upcharge people for something that isn't even that verifiable right like you're not gonna have a thing where you scan your ticket when you get to your seat like you just sit in whichever seat you want i think it i think it encourages people to jump seats more than they should because they'll just pay for a cheap one and then go to a nice one like i think it it it, it encourages i don't know infighting for people in movie theaters <laughs> like it's it's gonna keep people on netflix it doesn't get people out it keeps people in god i think it's bad all around yeah, it this we're, we'll have to wait and see what uh, what kind of reception this gets, if uh, any at all, if it's successful. It it will affect the um you know kind kind of the casual goer who maybe doesn't read up on film and entertainment news. They might just get there and be like, whoa, why, why are these prices different? And then just be forced to pay it because they're already there and they're already planned to go and you know that whole thing. Yeah. Well, for more on this, keep it here and off script, uh, dude. I don't want to go to AMC. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to support this at all. Like, I think this is super lame. And I got a bunch of gift cards for AMC, so we should just go and get it out of the way before this rolls out. Because if this becomes a thing, and it seems like it's very much going to, like, I I don't want to support the theater that's doing this. I just don't. Like, I think this is super lame. I'll, I'll go to I'll go to Cinemark. Anyway, with that being said, let's move into something much rosier, something much more exciting. Right? Not news, but a a a, fe a feature a film all right a, a piece of something real uh, andy's gonna be doing the summary on this one andy please take it away knock at the cabin why is it broken because of what i have to do today so this is the latest sci-fi horror from famed <laughs> slash notorious director <laughs> m night Shyamalan who we know for such hits as The Sixth Sense, Signs, Unbreakable, and such kind of mediocre films as uh, The Last Avid the Last Airbender. Uh, just a whole lot of stuff. It, uh, Shyamalan's real hit and meet, miss, but we always got to give him a chance because you never know. He has knocked it out of the park a couple of times, and so we always give him a chance. Maybe he will again. His, his previous film was Old, uh, which came out a couple of years ago. It involved... Uh, these group of tourists who go to this beach that makes them old, makes them age fast. Um, that was a little bit lackluster. But we're here at Knock at the Cabin. Uh, this is a small film, pro definitely written during the pan pandemic. It all kind of takes place at this cabin. Um, it stars Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge as a same-sex family. They have an adopted daughter uh, called Wen, played by Kristen Cui. 
Um, yes. Th- they are out at the, their cabin uh, when kind of one day out of the woods, <laughs> seemingly out of nowhere, enormous Dave Bautista comes out of the woods. Uh, his name's Leonard. Uh, he, he approaches the, the adopted daughter when they have this nice little conversation. And it's very, it's hugely intimidating because he's such a, a huge guy. You know, he's this big mass uh, of a man. And he's, you know, he's strikes up a friendly conversation and says, you know, we, I need to, where are your parents? Where are you staying? We need to find them. Uh, to make this a little bit shorter, eventually, sorry, D- Leonard, Dave Bautista, and his uh, three acolytes uh, break into this cabin, tie up this family, and they give them the proposal. They say, the world is ending, the apocalypse is about to happen, and only you can stop it by selecting someone in your family to die, and you must also kill them. This is a similar premise to uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which we reviewed forever ago. Um, that's kind of our sci-fi setup. And so our question is, you know, are these people insane? Are they part of a cult? Are they crazy? Or is there something more? Is Will they have to make this this kind of uh, terrible decision? So that's our setup. Zach, what'd you think? So this movie's in a unique space for Andy and I because we haven't talked about it at all. I wasn't even sure if Andy had seen it before we got on the podcast. So I'm glad you did. I thought too. <laughs> Uh, normally we get together to talk about stuff like this and for old we talked about it a lot I think before the show because we were excited to be like oh my god I mean we saw it together uh, and old I think makes the painful very very painful uh, crime of uh, waiting way too long to tell the audience to tell the characters on screen what the audience already knows that the beach makes you old it's like nearly an hour before the characters in the movie figure out the beach makes you old brutal brutal horrible pacing completely thrown off I don't know if I'm not shameless on listens to feedback. He probably, probably does a little bit. Because uh, this movie does not do that. It very quickly moves into exactly where it needs to be and spends most of its time there. Uh, a small cast, small setting. At times, it almost felt Hitchcockian. Uh, maybe not as good as Hitchcock, but I think Knock at the Cabin does some things well. I, it's not Shyamalan's best movie. I think it's stronger than old for sure. So I'm pleased to say... I liked it more. Andy, what did you think? I feel like it still took too long to get to uh, the premise because because we (laughs) like basically where we are, you could start where act two starts because again, we know from the trailer, there is the, these four scary people. They have, you know, big Dave is big Dave, but they also have these big manufactured weapons that look very medieval. We know they break into the house. We know the premises, then you must choose someone in your family to kill in order to end the apocalypse. So we spend the, like the first 40 minutes getting there, and there's a long sequence of them breaking into the cabin, um, which just goes on too long because we know, they, we know they're going to get in. So we just get, <laughs> just get us there. And then uh, kind of the middle of the film, we are, we are spent like trying to convince them that, oh, no, this is real, and there's like news reports that start coming on, and they talk about having had visions and they were brought together from four very disparate places. Um, trying not to get too much into the details. There are some things that work about this and a lot that does it. It does the same kind of like old where it's really like a twilight zone episode or like a black mirror episode that's stretched into an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes. Like it's, it's, it's a small, the premise is a little bit too small and simple and the film it's too small. It could have expanded on things, but again, this is definitely a pandemic written film. 
and everything is very small in scale for for a reason. So it does have, I should say, a good runtime. It's like a hundred minutes, it's like real tight, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I think old was like almost two hours. Yeah, at least it felt like it. So it does a better job of moving, I think, in that way. But I, I like, I think, the the novel that this movie is based on. Uh, I forget the name of it. I should uh, the cabin at the end of the world by Paul Tremblay. Uh, and I think that serves as like a much stronger base for Shyamalan to kind of shape into his own vision and adapt uh, than what originally I think was the graphic novel for old. I think old was a little thin and I think Shyamalan had it, had it in his head that it was a bit like, I don't know, a bit more divine than it turns out to be when actually it's a really simple idea. Uh, Knock at the Cabin, alternatively, like I think it comes off initially as very simple and, and grows into something a bit bigger and, and I like that. Like, I, I think it's still got problems in pacing for sure. And he's right. It does still take a little while to get to <laughs> what's in the trailer, but it's much faster. Like you can at least agree. Like if it had been old, it would have been like, they're getting home from work on Monday. And one of the husbands is like, God, I'm so stressed. And Eric's like, well, it'll be okay. Well, you know, we'll, we'll just got to make it to Friday. And then like Tuesday, like it would have been forever before they're in the car going to the cabin and they're doing the thing. This one opens. They're already there. And they've already been at the cabin. Like, at least it's like, okay, we're in the setting we need to be. And he's right. It does feel like a bit of a bottle picture that way, especially in some of its uh, presentations of thing, events happening outside of the cabin. Uh, like Andy said, they are trying to prevent the apocalypse. You can see a little bit in the trailer, these like news reports they'll pull up. will show something happening. And it's like pretty, pretty clunky footage of like a tsunami. It looks okay in the moment, I think, but... Uh, does come off looking a little cheesy. I, I I think it does a good job with its material because of the book and because of I should say, uh, Shyamalan's camera work, which I like a lot, and also a few performances we should we should mention. Yeah, I was gonna say this does continue the M Night Shyamalan tradition of ruining books because old <laughs> old old is also based on on a book that's very different and this and apparently this uh, Knock of the Cabin. The book that it's based on is also very different from here. So I'm not <laughs> just like he, when he makes these adaptations, he makes a lot of changes, not necessarily for the better. But the performances are really good. And I think the like the directing and like and cinematography is really good. These are the things that work in the film. We have four people who genuinely believe that they are in the, the apocalypse, that this is the end of the world. And also part of what they have to do is kind of begin sacrificing one another in order to kind of both unleash a plague, but be try to convince the, uh, the, fa the family that you're, you've got to pick one of you to perish. Um, and th so the performances are top notch. It's one of the things that does work really well in the film. Yes. Uh, Big Dave is a lot of fun as Leonard. Like he's very subtle He's very drawn back. Uh, he's got so, I don't, I, it's a testament to, I think, his acting ability. Dave Bautista is so good at feeling soft, even though he looks like this just monster of a man. <laughs> like in this movie, he's, he just feels like the most innocent dude. Like he's never he's super aggressive. Like he, he keeps himself really toned back. And like you, you get a feeling uniquely that like Leonard is not a dangerous man which is perfect for his stature because he looks like a dangerous guy. And you spend a lot of the film pondering, you know, what, what exactly is happening here? Are these events being influenced by uh, the apocalypse or some kind of larger meaning? Or is it less than that? 
is is it maybe not all as it seems and Shyamalan of course is known for his twists uh and I think it's worth mentioning that like one of the things that Shyamalan I think is I I feel like with this movie maybe maybe I'm overreading this he's coming into his own here uh I think he's starting to tap into this idea of like belief as a subject like what what do you believe what have you been told versus what have you seen and this happens in a lot of his movies I, I mean you a lot of his movies handle like what is real and what isn't real and how does that influence me and my identity and my decision making signs does this the village does this split does this glass does this Unbre- like a, a lot of them six cents unbreakable all of them kind of tackle this idea and knock at the cabin i think unlike old like is much more in line with that mantra are the things that are happening to us real or is this false do the people who are doing this to us think it's real or do they think it's false like how does this all shake out into a larger situation? And it does a really great job of walking that line because Eric, uh, one of the fathers, uh, is skeptical. Oh no, he, he he's not so skeptical. He 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 kind of sort of believes what's happening. But Andrew, the other father, does not. And he's like, no, this this is not real. This is all fake. And he will list reasons why. And it's just enough of a seed of doubt. It's just enough for me to kind of set up in my chair a little and go, okay, hold on a second. Maybe this is going somewhere. And I like that it doesn't overstay its welcome. I like that it's not too long. I think that stuff is where it's most effective. Right. Well, part of part of the um, again again with the performances. Uh, one of the things that ties in there's a B story. Uh, kind of kind of the subplot is the the meeting of the family. We have a young uh, Eric and and Andrew meeting but also andrew at one point uh suffers this kind of vicious at- attack which which is kind of assumed to be kind of a homophobic uh bit of violence and a, an attack and that's part of what he thinks is happening here he said you know we're being uh, attacked and targeted as a same-sex couple there's no apocalypse and that that's part of it. it's very clumsily tied in but that is kind of his motivation of like he really wanted to fight back because he the last thing he wants to be a uh, uh, is a victim. Yeah, and I think that plays effectively against our group of um, hostage takers, I guess, because when one of them is accused of a larger crime and then subsequent evidence comes out that points to, okay, that might be true, suddenly, like, motivations are up in the air. And I love that. Like, I, I love this moment where this movie pulls back and goes, wait, 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 wait a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're seeing stuff on TV, but is that actually linked to what's happening here? Is that even real? Is that pre-recorded? How much of that is valid? And like you get this clever bit of like paranoia in the movie. Uh, unfortunately, being a quick film, it doesn't manage to sit in that space long enough. Uh, there's a lot of films that can do this well. There's a lot of directors who seem to be able to knock this out. Um, but this one's not quite there because when you really start to feel like you're unsure of what's happening, suddenly we slide into the third act and they just explain it all right on the front. And it's still a little up in the air, I guess. It can be left up to interpretation a bit, but you are ultimately spoon-fed an ending, and I, I think that hurts it. Like, I, I definitely think that that puts kind of a damper on what could have been a larger, more expressive idea. Right. Part, part of what makes this so small, or too small, in my opinion, is there's a lot of telling and not showing. Uh, you know, these four acolytes, these four people um, that are... Have have what they they are here because they have had visions of the apocalypse. They have seen it in in their mind, and they have seen each other, and they have like 
come from different parts of the country and come together. But the thing is, they tell you all this through dialogue. And I was like, it would be really neat to see that, to have seen, to see these people having visions, to see how they come together to, to, again, just show more than tell. That's what the language of cinema is. And we have way too much talking and way too much dialogue about it. And that's what, again, why I think this is, it's, it's kind of a victim of, of being written and, and made during the pandemic is, they kept everything very small for logistical reasons and, and not having to do, but I think that would have made a lot more, it would have just made everything more interesting. I, it's funny. I went a bit of the opposite way. Uh, Cause I totally get where you're coming from, but I thought part of them telling people's past and not showing it was effective because it leaves your characters to wonder whether or not they do or do not believe it. If you showed me a flashback, I'd be much more prone to think, Oh, that's truth. And that's, that's what I've seen. If you showed me a vision of these things, I would believe it. But if you just tell me your past, it's completely up to me to decide whether or not you meant that. Like, because I don't have any actual tangible evidence of reality. And like, I, I like that this movie plays in that space. I think it, <laughs> when you say it like that, they just tell you, don't show you. Okay, that's true. You're right. <laughs> and movies are movies are show, don't tell. That's very true. Um, but in in the moment, in the picture, that didn't bug me too much because I, I like that feeling of like, who's telling the truth and who isn't it? Right. It's like three, it's like three truths and a lie. The movie like you're kind of left to wonder who's who's being honest here and who isn't. What are they being honest about? What are their real motivations? What are their real intentions? I like that our two our two dad characters kind of start to splinter. I think that's that's kind of a neat part of their relationship. Obviously, they still stick together, but one starts to kind of be like, hold on a second. Maybe they're on something here. And the other one's like, not at all. There's no way. And I like that kind of little internal struggle of two of them. Uh, I love the girl, uh, Chrissy Kui is her name. She's going on to do stuff for sure. She's really charming. Uh, somebody pointed out, Shaman's pretty good at directing kids. He's not perfect, uh, but he's not bad. Like there's some decent kid performances across Shyamalan pictures. And uh, I think I think this is another one of like a pretty good example. And I also want to mention Ben Aldridge as Andrew is really tremendous. And Abby yeah. Quinn is Adrian. She's one of the four girls. Uh, we've actually seen her in a couple features. On the, we're watching the show. She's an extra in. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, she's <laughs> in like one other thing we watched. Uh, but she's, I think, actually really interesting in here. Like, really stands out as kind of this <laughs> mousy girl who uh, is involved in this this terrible situation. Um, I, any other thoughts, Andy? I, I want to talk real quick about visuals and music, but I should duck back to you. Yeah, so so one of the things, again, a lot of our evidence of whether the apocalypse is happening or not are these big uh, news. There's a TV in the cabin um, that happens to have good cable, even though they don't have good signal. Um, and they're getting all these new, new, news <laughs> yeah. reports uh, of things. And it's just, it's kind of a cop-out. Uh, again, it would be with kind of lackluster CGI you could have been more creative about that, but also it's almost too big. Like it would be better if like, um, instead of a world ending event, it was more like this nearby, like this nearby city will be destroyed. If you, or the country or just something, it, it's a little bit too be it's blue sky beam, you know, like, like you get in a lot of like superhero movies, like going to destroy the earth. I think this is the part where it needed to be scaled down to something a little bit more, uh, tangible and real. It's true. What was that? There's a cabin horror film where it's like body horror. These people, I forget the name of it. People get infected and like one by one, they start to. Cabin fever. 
I think, yeah, Cabin Fever does that a lot better. Like, it's a lot slower and everything's immediate. It's happening to the characters. Like, so you kind of have that back and forth. Whereas this is mostly stuff happening outside of the cabin. Yeah, and you mostly get it through, like, newsreel footage. There is, like, one shot in the trailer that I thought looked cool that I don't think is actually in the movie. Or if it is, it's shopped. It's, uh... And Andrew's got Wen and they're exiting the cabin. They're outside and the camera's down on the ground looking way up and you can see them walking and then above them, like a, an airplane spinning out of control in the air. And I thought, okay, that looks really cool. That's like immediate intangible. Uh, and I don't think that actually makes it into the feature or if it is, it's like, it's changed. But I, I do wish they'd had a bit more of that. Yeah, because on the one hand, you play into this feeling of like, well, what do you believe? Do you believe this is happening? Or don't you? At the same time, it can make for a bit of a dry picture, especially if you've got high expectations. One thing I didn't think was dry was, A, a lot of the camera work I actually really liked. It's not mm -hmm. perfect, um, but a lot of really interesting one-point perspective, a lot of, like, genuinely thoughtful framing that I did not expect. I mean, I, I know Shyamalan's been doing this a long time, but, like, I don't recall, like, any of that from old. But there's a couple scenes in here where I was like, actually, that's that's a really great shot, or that looks really good. I, I, I don't know if he worked with a cinematographer. But... And then additionally, I like the music. Um, I like the music of this movie a lot. Like lots of strings, very active, keeps suspense moving, very orchestral. Like I, I don't know. I thought it felt tight. Andy, any thoughts? You are a resident music man. Um, I I can't really remember much of the music. Didn't really stand out to me. Oh, yeah. um, I can't hum any of it, so I get. I get yeah, it. yeah. What? The, <laughs> sing sing the theme to knock the cabin. Yeah, go ahead, uh, hum the theme. Yeah. <laughs> The, the last thing I, I want to touch on is that um, it kind of thematically is all over the place. Uh, again, you, you know, there, there's a limit to the number of conflicts we can create in fiction, but what a, what a f movie or a piece of fiction can be about, it's, it's kind of subtext and themes can be uh, kind of infinite. Uh, but we get a big mix of stuff, and it doesn't really all tie together. You know, we kind of have themes of, of like, uh, you know, past trauma, PTSD, uh, like kind of this this blind faith and, but it's just, it's real disparate. It doesn't really tie together super well. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite in the same boat. I think I liked it a little bit more than Andy, but you know, I, I should say, I, I don't think it's Shyamalan's. I, I, it's, not it's not quite like a return to form. Right. But it's not like a return to form. It's not like, Oh my God. Like I, I told Andy before this came out, I saw two different headlines on Twitter. One was like, it's his best in signs. It's, it's, it's the best features, which like we've heard that for his last four movies, but Secondly, other people, they were like, another miss, you know, whoosh, like totally, totally <laughs> terrible. So I like, like most of Shyamalan's features, I feel comfortable at least saying that you're probably going to land in one of those spaces. But before you go see it, we should tell you, Andy, would you recommend Knock at the Cabin? I would say save it for streaming. Uh, there are some great things about it. We have good performances uh, led by Dave Bautista uh, as Leonard, who's such a big guy. Just looked him up. He's 6'4", nearly 300 pounds. Massive. Uh, but good, great cast all around. Some interesting moments. Uh, good direction. I think that's probably where Shyamalan shines the best is through a director. He needs to get someone else's script. He needs to stop writing. His dialogue's um, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bad. But but it's it's a it's a little slow in the pacing. It's a lot of uh, telling and not showing. It feels a little bit like a play sometimes. It's okay. It's definitely better than old. Not as good as what he's done before. Save it for streaming. I'm kind of in the same camp. I I no big rush to go see this in a the movie theater. If you're gonna count, catch Discount Tuesday or something like maybe. But like you're not 
you're not beating down the door to see this thing. Uh, I think streaming is a fine place for it. If anything, it probably better because of streaming offerings. I do think it's pretty good. Like, and if if Andy's right and this is like a full on pandemic feature, like I think it's one of the better. Like, I, I've, we've seen some that are kind of really lukewarm or kind of experimental, but this one seems to be in a pretty good place. It's different and it's based on a book. It might be worth going to read that if you're interested instead. But uh, I think Night of the Cabin's good. I know it's it's not great, Shyamalan, but it's it, it's good, Shyamalan. Like it's like worth it's an a, it's worth like a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, sip lemonade and, and yes. watch. I I would tell yeah if, if my dad needed a feature to watch and he's like how do you I'm like knock the cabin's not bad like you probably yeah he'd, he'd probably like that like a couple hours sure you know it's not bad short quick to the point nearing that uh, ideal ninety minute film length knock <laughs> the cabin's not that bad. Uh, and speaking of half bad, uh, we're going to talk about some uproarious news in the comic book world. Uh, Andy, you want to, you want to introduce us here? It's been a while, but it's time for the death of cinema. So we got some huge news last week. Finally, uh, out of DC, uh, we were waiting all month long for James Gunn and Peter Safran, the new kind of heads of DC Studios, to unveil their big kind of 10-year-long plan for for DC. We had no idea of rumors swirling about, and they came at the 11th hour, January 31st. Uh, they released a lot of big news, so we got a huge amount to, to talk about. I'm... Just before we get started, I'm totally excited. I'm really stoked for this stuff. It's the most excited I've been about uh, DC in, in a long time. Yes, so let's jump of, into it. Go yes. ahead, Zach. I was going to say, a bit of a preface for me before we jump into it. Yes, if you haven't been listening to the show or you're not up on it, DC has had some trouble in the movie world, right? When, what was the last Superman movie you saw in a movie theater? And other than the Batman, when was the last time you went and saw a Batman movie? Like, it hasn't really been panning out for them with their Zack Snyderverse. But finally, new leadership, new direction, new vision. We've got to, we've got a plan. Andy, what's next for DC? What, 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 what are they doing? We'll start with the man who started it all, Superman. Uh, there's going to be a Superman film called Superman Legacy, which comes out July 11th, 2025. We already have dates, so that's exciting. Two and a half years uh, away, it's going to deal with a younger Superman dealing with his uh, human up upbringing. Um, and we also have a couple of other Superman projects. We, we have a, a, what they're calling Elseworld, which is going to be kind of things out of the main universe. Uh, for example, Joker or the Batman would be Elseworld stories. Um, they're going to be uh, a separate Superman movie written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, which will feature a black Superman, which is like Earth-23. That'll be super exciting. Thoughts on that, Zach? Uh, I think Superman's going to be good stuff. Andy and I have talked about this a couple times. How do you how do you do Superman? And I think they've got they're coming at it from the perfect spot. Uh, we're not going with Henry Cavill, which is a bummer because uh, everybody likes him as Superman. But Gunn, who's pending the script and may direct, he's not sure, says it's going to be a younger Superman. He's not Smallville Superman. He'll be Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent. And I think it's exactly where you need to be. That's where you should be aiming. We did Smallville on TV. Everybody's seen Superman in underwear. Like, we need that spot in the middle where he's still getting it together. A little like Robert Pattinson's Batman. In my head, maybe a little bit more like Tom Holland's Spider-Man, right? Like, young kid, still figuring it out, like, still finding his way. Uh, I don't think that's a bad plan. I think that's good. As for the others, 
I don't know him that well. There's some obscure DC stuff in here. There's a couple of properties that I am not wise to. Right. I'm I'm, I'm going to try not to spend too much time on all these. Uh, we have a film called The Authority, which is a set of heroes that I'm not super familiar with, but they uh, apparently guard, guard they guard the universe, the planet, but with very uh, kind of questionable means. Uh, so maybe kind of a Suicide Squad kind of role there. We'll see more on that. Not a lot, not a lot of um, information on that. Uh, which brings us to Batman. <laughs> uh, there's a, a few Batman projects. We're going to be getting a sequel to Robert Pattinson's The Batman called The Batman Part 2. Again, an Elseworld thing. And then we are getting a new Batman. And this is going to be part of the DC Universe uh, called The Brave and the Bold, which features uh, both Batman, but also a Robin, which we have not seen in ages. And this is going to be uh, led by... Oh, sorry, include Damian Wayne, which is, uh, for those of those who don't know, Batman has, like, a secret child he doesn't know about, eventually comes to live with him. He's trained by assassins. They don't get along. They kind of hate each other, but they, uh, you know, they work together. That's that's a very modern thing happening in, in comics, and they're going to be bringing that uh, to screen, which is exciting. Um, next is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, I'm super excited about this. Uh, so we're going to be getting a new Superman, a Supergirl film, and it's going to be based on this comic that I actually read last year called Woman of Tomorrow, which is a phenomenal run by Tom King. Seven issues. Go out and read it. Uh, it, it deals with a very with Supergirl going through a very different experience from Superman. She grows up on uh, her, her in her city. Like, her city survives the explosion of the destruction of Krypton, but the kind of rock that they're on eventually becomes radioactive and everyone, she has to watch everyone sort of die and she's the lone survivor and over 15 years watches everyone she knows pass away and is very jaded, very like she's kind of hard drinking kind of super, super girl. Um, it's a hardcore run. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's some, there's genocide, the topics of genocide in it. Um, that's going to be really well. And that's that movie like that is long overdue. I'm super excited for that. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, so I didn't know where to jump in. Batman or Supergirl or Brave and the Bold? Uh, no, I think Supergirl sounds great. Uh, I listen, part of me is skeptical, but on the other hand, I'm like, if you can do better than Captain Marvel, you're going to be in a great spot because everybody was stoked for Captain Marvel and then it came out and was kind of just like, oh, it's like fine. Like it wasn't like super awesome. So I think Supergirl's in a good spot. Uh, new, new Pattinson's good stuff, uh, in the Batman and I'm excited for their Elseworlds idea. I think that's good. Brave and the Bold, I'm a little nervous about Damian Wayne. I need to find out more. I don't know if America wants Dad Man. I don't know if we want Dad Batman. I don't know if people are going to like take Kid Robin. I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm I, a little yeah, skeptical. I, I haven't read a lot of that, but I, it, it would be interesting because, you know, typically the Batman-Robin uh, dynamic is very father-son, you know, raising my boy, kind of my protege. And Damien is kind of the opposite. Like he was raised by assassins. He was raised kind of with an absent. It's it's like it's like Manchester by the Sea. All of a sudden, you gotta you gotta go live with your dad, who happens to be Batman, and you hate him. Listen, <laughs> uh, if if they could do Manchester by the Sea, Batman, I'd be into that. That that that's the tone I think you need to be aiming for. Like really thoughtful, like a little bit deeper than just like it can't it can't be. It's it's gonna be that they don't get along. It's it, it's the kid that yeah. It's it's the trope of like oh I just gotta my my brother and sister died and I gotta be a step parent to their 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 kid. And same thing happens in Megan. Uh, 
but it, yes. that's that's a, that's very much a trope of, of films, and um, I think it could definitely work. What else you got? That brings us to our, our last kind of big announcement, film-wise, which is Swamp Thing. Uh, Swamp which is Thing, going, which is uh, going to be loosely based on on the Alan Moore run, or at least in in tone. This is already has a director attached to it, James Mangold, who did who's doing the new Indiana Jones film and also did Logan, a fantastic comic book film. And this is going to be a horror film, uh, they said. So this is a perfect way to do Swamp Thing because uh, there's lots of great horror elements uh, of that character. It's weird, man. Like, normally I would not be hyped for Swamp Thing, but the comic people in my life tell me it is a total sleeper and it's really good stuff. Like, Swamp Thing is actually really solid. Apparently this Alan Moore's run, run has been really good. Uh, James Mangold, maybe, possibly interested in directing. I know he tweeted a photo. Like, I, I think I think we might be in a good spot. Like, I think that sounds really cool. Uh, again, I don't know if America's ready for a good Swamp Thing. I, I think they might like cheesy Swamp Thing, but we'll see. Uh, either way, Gunn clearly, like, is emerging with a really creative direction here. Like, my man has a passion for the freaks. He wants, like, he wants the side characters. He wants the Suicide Squad and the Peacemakers. Like, he wants the people who aren't that popular and aren't at the front. Like, I think that's the stuff he really wants to cut his teeth on. And I love it. Like, I love that direction. Cause I think some of the best stuff that's come out of DC under Walt Zahmata formerly was the side stuff, right? Shazam and, and su- like even <laughs> suicide squad, uh, peacemaker. Like those are the things that kind of work. So like continuing with the weird, but leaving space for like your solids up at the top, Superman, Batman. Like, I think that's the best way to go. I really do. Yeah, it's a great mix of both characters we know and love and want to see more of, and then things that we haven't seen, like Supergirl's long overdue to be uh, to be in there. Um, Swamp Thing as well, fantastic character. They, they did a, a show that was like immediately canceled, apparently it was really bad. Also, what's notable is what is not here and who is not here. Um, no announcements for Wonder Woman, no announcements for Shazam, no comments on the Flash, uh, Ezra Miller's character. So these are also big main characters who have been part of the the last ten years of DC, um, and are not <laughs> in in the new plans. And so we don't know what that means. They may show up later. They may not show up at all. We we don't really know what's happening to them. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there is one thing for Wonder Woman. Uh, did you mention this this show they're making? No. Uh, yeah, a Game of Thrones-style drama set on Wonder Woman's home island of Themyscira, uh, the Amazonian palace. Uh, that like You've seen it. Uh, they're talking about doing like a show for that, but I don't know a lot about it, and it would be set like before Wonder Woman comes along. It would just be like the, Am- the, the Amazon Amazonians. Amazons? I don't, I don't know. Um, I, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I think that's the thing, I think, with a lot of these. I, I don't know who the audience is for them, but like that's part of what makes it so fun, right? Like... How many movies have we watched on this show that like don't have a large audience, but we're all about it? Like that's just that's just cool. And like I think Gunn is able to tap into that. And if he can bring the level of quality, he's brought stuff like Peacemaker, then I think we'll be in a good place. Yeah, I mean, one of the things he did was bring characters that we didn't know from Guardians of the Galaxy and made them all household names. So I, I think he definitely has the talent to do that again. And he's looking for to be really creative, you know, not just do the Zack Snyder thing of like, well, now we got to have a 20 minute action scene. And like, I I think he's looking for uh, some really different things Uh, real quick HBO or they will be making some shows on HBO. Uh, There's one called creature commandos another called Waller, which 
uh, will is Amanda Waller played by oh why can't I think of her name Viola, Viola Davis, Davis will be e- uh, EGOT winner Viola Davis um, Paradise Lost which Zach just mentioned Booster Gold who's uh, like a BC list a DC hero but very much beloved he's going to be having a show and Lanterns which a Green Lantern show was announced for HBO but they they're going to be taking a little bit different direction that's going to involve the main two Lanterns Hal Jordan and uh, John Stewart so that'll be interesting to see how how it plays out it's going to be a while though we're not getting anything until 2025 uh yeah and and most interestingly i think i i like the way they're basically double downing on the popular properties we're getting two superman features and one will be in line and the other will be elseworlds same with batman we're getting two batman features with different superman and different batman playing both like i don't think that's a bad thing right why why give people less superman when you could give them more and if people like one over the other, then I guess you'll just run in that direction. And if they don't, then you just call it Elseworlds and leave it. Like, I don't I don't think that's a bad policy. Like, why not, right? DC could run the table. So hopefully it's something good. I mean, if they can nail a tone that feels really distinct from Marvel, I think they'll be in a really good place. Uh, I think a lot of people are sick of looking at the, the Ant-Man trailer again and seeing, like, the same cheesy plan for what's coming next. So Man. I'm Ant-Man, so Ant-Man much theaters, sm- February 17th. <laughs> I'm so much more excited for this than I have been for any of the Marvel stuff in a long time. Like I said, Face Snore really, really made everything lackluster. It looks like they might chore. be getting the, they might be getting the magic back. We'll see, but I'm definitely excited for all the DC stuff coming out. Yeah, I'm as well. And with that, we should move on to our final film. I realize the episode's running long, but we're getting there. I promise. It's been a big week. We've been out for a week. Uh, so with that, we should move into our second film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summer on this. Please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Infinity Pool. It's time to find out what kind of a creature you really are. So Infinity Pool is the new Brandon Cronenberg feature. Son of acclaimed body horror director uh, David Cronenberg. Brandon Cronenberg has recently made uh, one feature that we are really familiar with, Possessor, uh, which came out a couple years ago. And then... I forget the name of his one previous to that, but we didn't see it. So we saw Possessor on the podcast, our old episodes out there. Uh, this is a new feature starring Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, Skarsgård plays James Foster, uh, who is a struggling writer, struggling with writer's block, who's written one book and hasn't done anything in six years. Uh, he's married to M, and they're enjoying a wonderful vacation on the fictional island of La Tolka when... He meets uh, Gabby, what is her last name? Bauer. Bauer, played by Mia Goth and her husband Alban, I think, uh, who are two other vacationers enjoying their stay at La Tolka. And they get to know each other, and he kind of fancies her, and she kind of fancies him. And Em's like, what's going on with you? But, you know, it's high society snobbery, a la Triangle of Sadness, the menu. Uh, Our characters go out uh, one afternoon, stray away from the resort, and after a horrific accident, discover that... Uh, the island of Latolka, its own nation, has some radically different rules about how crime is doled out, or crime crime is dealt with, punished. And uh, James Foster finds out that he is sentenced to die for his crime island, uh, but he can get out of it by donating a large fund of money to Latolka's uh, vacation or pension or whatever it's called, and having a double built. A, a full double, not not just like a mannequin that like looks clone. like James Foster, a full-on clone. 
And after agreeing to this and getting money out of a shady ATM, he's put in a hospital gown and he has this thing put on his head and he climbs in this tank full of this thick, viscous red liquid, sees some insane vision and comes out on the other side, James Foster, alongside a double, also James Foster. The double is swiftly served justice and suddenly James cannot unsee the things he's seen. And it's here on Latolka when he discovers maybe... Uh, what he truly is. Uh, the movie is Infinity Pool. It is like 95 minutes, nice tight body horror feature. Andy, what'd you think? I, I, oh, there were, I wanted to like this movie a lot more uh, than, than I ended up. There, there were, there's a lot that works. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I, I think that Brandon Cronenberg is better director than writer. Um, but it had me like about, halfway two thirds into the film, I was really on board and then it kind of doesn't know uh, where to go. But the, the premise is fascinating because it, it's set up uh, in a very stereotypical way. We have this trope of like, you know, there, these two couples meet on an Island. uh, They're kind of flirting around with each other. You, you definitely get the idea. There's going to be some infidelity happening. And one of those, well, the Island is not all it seems what's going on behind closed doors. So it's, it has a lot of that, those kind of tropes and setups that we're familiar with, but then it goes in a very, very different uh, direction. And it re- again, it reminded me a lot of Possessor that has a really fascinating uh, premise. So this is what we get out of this as well. Again, with the, the, you know, if you commit a crime, here's, you know, provide us with funds and b- build the clone. And then, uh, you know, you can kind of get out of it. And this, in a way makes them immortal and invincible. And that just causes a ton of problems to spiral out of control when essentially there's no consequences for what you do. So I think I like this a little bit more than, than Andy did Uh, like knock at the cabin. I'm not like hugely warm on it, but I did like a lot about it. Uh, I think it's stronger than possessor, Uh, but on its own merits, infinity pool does have, a couple of issues, but I, I like this like fundamental idea of the doubling, right? Uh, you, you think of films like uh, Richard Ayoade's The Double or uh, Denis Villeneuve's Enemy or even uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, right? Films where our protagonists are cloned in some fashion, metaphorically or, or literally, right? Uh, for a magic trick or in reality. like, And I like this idea that this movie functionally opens pretty normal, right? Uh, it, it's pretty fine. The trailer does a great job of highlighting this. The first 45 seconds of the trailer, you're like, okay, this looks like a normal feature. <laughs> then when tragedy strikes and somebody explains, you're going to die unless you pay us to have a double built. It's like, what? And then you get into like the weird twist. Like It's like Cronenberg turns on the weird, right? Like That's when the movie hits the gas and takes off. And I like that. Like, I like that it's got a pretty straight start before it just like drops into the madness. And I think that's good stuff. The problem is a little like Possessor. Like, I don't know if Cronenberg quite has the through line for how to get through the madness. Uh, David Cronenberg, his father, obviously had a bit more time to work this out, but his stuff was just a little bit like cleaner. And Brandon's work, I think, is a bit more abstract. This one's a bit more straightforward. But, like, it starts starts to get messy. <laughs> As our characters uh, interact with one another, there's some backstabbing, there's some second-guessing. Uh, like, I, I like that James ends up finding a, a bit of kind of a community for people like him on Latolka. I like that he's kind of taken under the wing of the 
uh gabby bauer yeah bowers uh and they kind of say well hey there's there's more to this than meets the eye and i like that that mystery kind of unfolds especially in like the meaning of a double right like the term infinity pool not only infer refers to like the luxurious uh pool with a, a horizon edge that you'd find at a resort like this but also the idea that you would be stepping into this pool of liquid and being cloned into infinity like being there forever I like that the movie plays with identity, right? Like who, it very quickly asks the question, who is the double? Was James Foster killed or was the double of James Foster killed? Are you the double or aren't you? Like, I, I like that it starts to pose those questions, but unfortunately by the third act, it just kind of gets messy. I've heard people criticize Mia Goth's performance in the later stages because it's a little too expressive. Uh, I've heard Skarsgård is a little too toned back, but I I'm not sure, Andy, what do you think? Well, yeah, I would agree that by the third act, it doesn't really know where to go. And this is, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, of Knock at the Cabin where uh, you got a great premise to start things off, but then you don't know how to wrap, wrap it up. And that can be really challenging. It's like, okay, you, you've come up with this great idea. How do, you, how do we develop characters and conflict and resolution through it? And that's where it, the film kind of struggles. And it becomes a little bit preoccupied with, uh, these kind of psychedelic moments between like the the deaths of of the clones and uh, a lot of drugs and partying going on becomes very much about that and that's where I think he excels like creating these very visceral experiences like you you get a flash uh, like a photosensitive warning before the movie starts um, so you know it's it's going to be good so that stuff works really well but then uh, again developing more clear themes really coming to, uh, you know, creating conflict, resolving that conflict, the denouement, it just, it kind of doesn't know where to go. And I, I would agree, uh, love me a goth. She's the darling scream queen, but she's she's like an, at an 11 for most of this film and it's just too much. Like she needs to dial it back, be at like an it's eight. True. I, it's just too much. Yes. I think Cronenberg is as much an audience member to like Mia Goth as we all are. <laughs> and I think he just like loved the energy she was putting out. And some of the later scenes of this movie, if you're watching on Facebook, we've got a, a bit from the trailer up where she's in the street, like screaming and holding a firearm. And she's like laughing maniacally. I, I did like it. I'll be honest. I was into it. Uh, she, she, I felt like she was channeling quality Nick Cage, like, which not everybody can do. <laughs> that is a, that is a far, is few and far true. between. Like she, she was like, full cage. yes. Like she's turning into a level. And I'm like, Oh baby. Like not many people can get up here. Even Skarsgård, I think tries to go for it, but doesn't quite, doesn't quite start to reach that peak. I, I think she's great. I think she can do more. But like I said, when we, when we saw this, and I saw this together, uh, it, Cronenberg's like <laughs> weird, obscure horror psychedelic montages he doesn't possess or he doesn't in this feature as well they remind me of like the, the sylvester stallone like sports montage right like get getting fit running to the top of the stairs the 80s music it's kind of like that but like weird obscure stuff where you're seeing like melted faces and like fluorescent lights and, like all kinds of weird things happening. And this movie has like three sequences of that. Like, and one of them is particularly long. And he's right. Like not only does the film open with a flash on the screen that says, Hey, warning, uh, if you are prone to epilepsy or seizures, take, take caution. Uh, they had it printed on the door and at the door of the theater. <laughs> and then when I bought the ticket, like all down the way, they Bring specifically glow sticks. <laughs> yes. Like Cronenberg has made it very clear that I will put any disclaimer necessary on this movie to not have to change it 
to be the way it is. And it's been changed. Uh, originally, the cut of this was NC-17, and it's been cut back for what's here. Big content warning. Still plenty of reasons for this movie <laughs> to be hard-rated R. Good Lord. Content warning. Nudity. Violence. Language. Uh, nudity again. Uh, but <laughs> I can imagine... Like having already seen it, I think Andy as well. You could easily imagine a world where this could be turned up a little bit and be too much for general. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It, it's very much an experience, a very visceral one. Fantastic sequences. Um, and, and again, Possessor had some of this too. That's a much smaller film um, on, on a smaller level, so he, he can't indulge as much. Uh, but he, he still has that kind of psychedelic flair in that movie, and he brings it over to this one as well yeah overall i think like infinity pool is this like possessor obscure piece of like atmospheric and bizarre horror like that has elements of body horror like i i I like that it's larger questions of this idea of, of of doubling of like creating another version of yourself and then having to watch that version get murdered brutally in front of you like I, I like that. And and like Andy's right. Like that that opening that hook is great to start with, but it just feels like it doesn't really get off the runway past that because it's such a grand opening. I mean, Possessor's got the same problem. The byline for Possessor's fantastic. A woman who's part of an organization that possesses people and uses them for ill means gets trapped inside a body and can't get out. Like that's great. Like that's a great start for like a sci-fi movie, but like it it has trouble getting over the finish line with that much bluster and and infinity pool, unfortunately suffers a bit of the same problem. I think if you are not into the really odd, bizarre atmospheric stuff, (laughs) which I was charmed by in this feature, Andy, not so much. I I think it's going to be less, less people are going to like that than more for sure. Like it's, it's, it's tough to recommend. It it definitely needs, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, of course, uh, the, uh, the Cronenberg senior, uh, David Cronenberg, who brought us Videodrome, and Videodrome is a fascinating premise, middle and end of a, like the whole premise, asking about what is reality, what happens when we begin creating our own reality. It's great from start to finish, and uh, Brandon Cronenberg has to find that third act. He's got to find how to tie it all together, how to say something with with this uh, these, these incredible premises that that he comes up with. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I feel the I feel the same way. Videodrome, fantastic example, by the way. Can't believe how, how well that movie holds up. We've still talked about it since we saw it. Good God, like that movie's more relevant now than ever. Yeah, even more, even more yeah. so. Being being trapped by the allure of the screen, like oh yeah. God. What yeah. what happens when you create your own reality? It's right. Oh God. Anyway, uh, overall, I think Possessor, Possessor. Overall, I think Infinity Pool. I I think it's better than Possessor. I do. Like, I, I like it more, but I do think he's still, I don't know. He's got to keep chasing it, and he's going to he's gonna make something else. But Right. I, I think he's a better director than writer. I think he would do phenomenal things with someone else's script, with a really solid script. I think he would do amazing things. I think that's actually really valid. Uh, any, other, any other thoughts for recommendation? I'm ready. Would you recommend Infinity Pool? I would say, again, if you're interested, it's not for the faint of heart. It's for uh, those who seek out bold cinema. Don't recommend it to your parents, uh, but save it for streaming. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily something you need to run out and see in the theater. It definitely is probably a little bit better experience there because of uh, all the the photo, the, light, the lights flashing, that kind of stuff. 
Um, but it's definitely for the cinephile, for the, if you're looking for things that are new and out of the ordinary and thing, things like that. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. Uh, if you are interested in Infinity Pool, I would encourage you to go see it in a theater because if you've already heard all of this, you've seen the trailers, you probably have an idea of where Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg's coming from. He's a pretty niche guy. If you still want to know, go see it because that will be your best experience to see it. That will be the best way to see it. If you're not sure, if you're like, man, this just sounds too weird for me, 100% streaming. 100% streaming because it won't hurt. Like, it's still a pretty quick feature. And I don't think it's going to be, it's not, it's not, particularly cinematically compelling like i think this will play fine on your home surround sound speaker system whatever like that'll work don't watch it on your phone i mean if you can swing it <laughs> like don't don't watch it on your apple watch but like yeah i think this will be coming to hbo or something like that at some point and i think it'll be easy to watch i might have to go back and watch it again um yeah i like infinity pool though i like it it's it's weird and it's different i like it more than possessor i'm excited to see what he does next but I definitely, now that I've seen two films from Brandon Cronenberg, I think I'll be a little wiser the next time going in, looking for those like obscure montages or some of these kind of tropes. Because one way or another, my man is an auteur. He's making his own art. He's just got to figure out what that means for everybody else. And with that, we should probably wrap up the show. Andy, what are we watching next week? Well, in honor of our brand new Indian audience that, that we got from uh, watching RRR, we're going to be... <laughs> watching a new Indian action film called Pathan. That's right. Uh, which which came out a week or two ago, still in, in theaters. Uh, it involves, uh, let me just read the description from, from IMDb. An Indian spy takes on the leader of a group of mercenaries who have a nefarious plan to target his homeland. Uh, so it's an Indian action film. Heard a little bit about this, and we're going to see see if we can retain and uh, get some more info, info uh, and reactions from uh, that Indian audience. Yeah, uh, for all the people in there who are like, you don't know anything about Indian cinema. I can't believe you said this. Well, here we are. All right, we're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're gonna give it a go. We'll see what comes out. And we'll let you know, of course, if we have the same kind of wild reaction that RR has had. <laughs> My God, if uh, dude, if you haven't heard it, our review, our our our, our review was a couple weeks ago. You can go hear it on episode two hundred four. And uh, gosh, probably tell people where they're gonna see it. Wait, what? Else? But uh, what else are we watching? We don't we don't really have a lead yet, but we're figuring it's, it out. Right. So we'll be watching something else. We don't know. There's a few new releases on uh, streaming. Uh, Your place or mine, which is a rom com on Netflix. Piggy, which was a small uh, indie horror that came out last year, that's on, out on Hulu this Friday. And then uh, the big release, which we will not be watching, <laughs> is Magic Mike's Last Dance in theaters only February 10th. Uh, so we're we're gonna see probably something from streaming, maybe. Something like the Fablemans catch up on some of the Oscar stuff. Uh, we're not quite sure yet, but uh, we'll be sure to let you know. Uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance currently sitting at a 58 on Rotten uh, with 40 reviews. Reviews just came out today. Uh, you know what that means, Andy? It's, you're, it's either good or bad. You like it or you don't. That magical 50 is like the, the premium spot. It's for, for the weird, fans. Weird cinema. Yeah, right. Uh, we've seen none of the Magic Mike films. And while I'm sure they're fantastic... <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be skipping them we'll watch Bathon. we'll see what else we can find i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll catch something cool i know amc as much as i was ragging on them in the open i do have gift cards to spend and uh they are doing a lot of like oscar runs for films right now like uh, you can catch the fablemans or something you haven't seen it i think the woman king might be in theaters again i might try to go catch that everything everywhere was just in theaters again so we're getting to a magical time when 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 things are coming out again and good cinema is is happening and God, in just a couple weeks, we're going to be doing Ant-Man. And then, uh, like I was telling my other buddy, who I've gone to see a couple features with. Cocaine once, Bear. 
dude once ant-man comes out we are in summer like it is like a banger every week for the next three yeah. months like it's it's gonna be it's busy nuts. so if you want to keep up with what's going on at the movies to keep up with your boys aren't off script the best way to do that is just subscribe to the show on your favorite platform you can find us on youtube where we upload our shows and things like our wonderful rr review shorts one-off reviews, all kinds of stuff going on over there. You should please go check us out at Oscar Film Review on YouTube. We're on Facebook, where we live stream the show every single Tuesday around 4 p.m., 5 p.m. Central. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. You can find us on all the usual podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. Like and subscribe where you can. Rate and review where able. Five stars, if you please. We'd really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you listening to the show. And, of course, you can find our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can email us correspondence, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Dot com to tell us what you like or what you're interested in or what you want to watch or what you thought of our reviews anything you're thinking we're happy to talk about it right here on off script from you from all of us at off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for watching